I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I've got a second take on the Oscar Best Picture nominee, 1917. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn is looking for a second life on home video. I'll have a review. And HBO is on fire lately. Curb Your Enthusiasm is back with a vengeance. They've got a Stephen King adaptation called The Outsider. And I have finished my binge of the Golden Globe winning Succession. Let's begin. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Nineteen seventeen, nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. It took the Golden Globe for Best Picture Drama. Jeff, you saw it last week. What did you give yep. it? I gave it three and a half couch cushions out of five. Three and a half couch cushions out of five. Well, this is interesting because you're usually the war movie guy. Yeah. I normally don't do war movies. It's not that I have anything against them. I just always tend to lean towards fun movies, which is a shame because anytime <laughs> anytime I watch movies that are more serious, I am typically deeply moved like i still remember how much i was moved by letters from iwo jima yeah uh, but usually i just choose to rewatch the avengers there you go uh, so you didn't watch do you, have you seen dunkirk oh yeah you did see dunkirk okay yeah i went to see dunkirk that was a outstanding film Absolutely. so whenever i go see these movies i always love them i just i think with war movies in particular because of the subject matter it, it, it's just often hard and yeah well you know when, it's going to be heavy right yeah and when pitted, if there's a choice like uh, go see serious war drama or go see superheroes <laughs> i usually go with the superheroes yeah. but Hey, this film, I had to see it on the big screen. When I first saw the trailer a few months ago, my jaw hit the floor. And then when I found out you told me that the movie was made to look like one single take with no editing, then I had to see it on the big screen. Because I love those single take scenes. True Detective did an amazing scene in season one. That was about five minutes long. Mr. Robot, and it was so good. Mr. Robot did an entire episode made to look like one take in its third season. And so when there are no edits, it just sucks you in so deep into the scene because it's fully immersive. Like you feel like you are a part of the scene. So I was really intrigued and excited by that. Also, I just often find there's too much editing in movies. Like, it just takes you out of the action. The Bourne movies, for example. Oh, you get... You, I get nauseous walk, watching those. Yeah, it's just edit, 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 edit. That's why the, that first John Wick movie was so cool, because instead of seeing 19 edits in 60 seconds, they would often just <laughs> hold the camera as Keanu takes out a dozen Russians. Just <laughs> hold the camera a bit longer and let the action play out. And in this case, director Sam Mendes opted to do it for the whole thing. And what uh, brave, but also kind of crazy decision to make. Let, let's do an entire movie like this. So, in case you missed Jeff's review, 
The plot is simple for 1917. It's World War I. Two soldiers are tasked with getting a message to a battalion that's about to walk into a slaughter, and we follow them from there. And what an incredible and harrowing journey for these two young men. I was what really struck me was how much detail went into all of the sets and settings in this film. The production design is intense. And I actually spoke with uh, a woman who says that military films, like that's her jam, yeah. that's her genre. And she says this is the best she's ever seen. Really? I have to imagine this one's going to be a slam dunk to win the Oscar for production design. Dennis Gassner, by the way, from Vancouver is in that nomination. I don't think I've ever seen this much detail in any film. Like when they're walking through their trench, for example, seeing all of the sandbags piled up so meticulously yet almost made to look haphazard. Like their trench just looks yeah. like this really... Because they would have to make those things quickly back then, even yeah. though they... And for the movie I read, they made almost a mile of trench, for real. Wow. And that's it. I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, but and what was really cool was that's what it looked like. It looked like it was something that they kind of had to put together quickly. Yeah. But then when they end up in a German trench, you see this concrete foundation. It's a much sturdier trench, complete with like a mine shaft. So that all helped to convey and remind us of the German war machine to remind us of what the allies were up against. So not only did it look cool, but it was functional for the story as well in such a profound way. And then when they're having to walk and crawl through so much mud, it's like a bog before they get to this labyrinth of barbed wire. That was like something out of a nightmare and then various, just various piles of destruction and seeing all of the rubble strewn about so much rubble. Like it must've taken weeks to dress these sets. Like I get anxiety just, thinking about, okay, here's your task. Go set up 50 piles of of stuff that's made to look yeah. like a blown-up building. <laughs> I think I would just quit. So it was crazy. Like, they could have gotten away with a lot less detail and still told the story. But for this film, I think seeing the excessive detail served the film so well to remind us, hey, a war zone is a terrifying place, and what these men, through, men went through was truly horrific. Worth noting that this is not... It's inspired by a true story. It's based on stories that Sam Mendes' grandfather would tell, but he took a whole bunch of dramatic license to write this story. Which he'd have to do to make it come off as one long take that, you know, these guys have to get in little adventures along the way until the end and have stuff to talk about in between. So obviously that wouldn't have all happened to his grandpa all in one shot kind of thing. Yeah. I think the most impressive detail, though, is how they spread carnage through the various spots they visit. Dead bodies have randomly become part of the landscape in some cases. Like, sometimes they're just kind of half-consumed by a crater. Like, they're sitting in this crater, and there are bodies, like, sticking out of the walls of this crater. It was visceral. It was haunting. And yet almost casual, because it was just part of reality in this world. There are dead bodies everywhere. And, uh, Jeff, I I believe you said you found yourself bored at times, yeah? There was a bit of... Well, yeah, just for the in-between stuff, where they're just walking and talking, because they have to do that to fill time or whatever. So every now and then, I'd be like, okay, let's get to the next thing already. Yeah, I actually never found myself bored. I think I liked the downtime in between the bigger scenes because when there's action, it's so immersive and so intense, it's kind of exhausting. So I think I found the breaks to be welcome and I enjoyed their banter. You know, one of the one of them knows a ton of stuff about cherries and I found myself thinking, how does he know that much? And then his buddy says, how do you know that much about cherries? Another reminder that 
they're just young, normal men who have been sent to an awful place to do awful things in the name of freedom. Cinematography was incredible. The action is so well staged and choreographed. My heart was pounding for almost the entire movie, which isn't too long. It comes in around two hours. I think about the only thing that didn't work for me was the ending. I just felt deflated by it a little bit, just the way it just sort of ends. And in saying that, I'm fully aware that the ending works for the movie. Like, I think it's yeah. it's designed to just end. Like, this was a two-hour pocket of their lives. Well, the film is two hours. It, it takes place longer than that, and you'll understand how that works when you see it. But it just seemed to be lacking some oomph. Who knows? When I watch it again, I might like it more because I do want to see this again. I might even go back to see it again on a big screen just because there was so much detail on screen to pour over and... Uh, Appreciate. I almost want to use the word enjoy, but I feel almost guilty using the word enjoy with a war movie. But this was, it was exciting. It was excellent. And yet another fine piece of filmmaking to say, hey, war sucks. So I will give 1917 four and a half couch cushions out of five. Boom. So is it the one you're pulling for at the Oscars now, given what you've seen? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I would have to go with 1917. Which ones have I seen again? Uh, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, and I want to say... I don't know what I want to say. I can't remember the full list of nominees. (laughs) All right, hang on a second. Let's turn to Google. Have you seen Parasite or Jojo Rabbit? I have not. Have you seen Marriage Story or Little Women? No. Or Ford versus Ferrari? No. I think we've... We've, I think that's, that's all that should cover them all. Yeah. Hang on. Oh, Joker. There yes, I saw Joker. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I never would have been pulling for Joker anyway. I, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, 1917 for me would be the, the one. Well, I think you're in luck because we've got a couple of minutes yet. I'm going to tell you some of the award scenarios over the last couple of days. Okay. Last weekend, we had the PGAs, which is the Producers Guild Award, of which 1917 came out the big winner. Then the next night, we had the SAG Awards, the Screen Actors Guild, where Parasite came out the big winner. Now, the, I looked up the stats. 11 out of the last 25 SAG Award winners have gone on to win Best Picture at the Oscars. That's 44%. That's Parasite. Wow. 21 out of 30 of the last PGA winners, which is 70%, have gone on to win the Oscars. So 1917 there. But the big one is coming up this weekend, the Directors Guild of America, where uh, the line I found says, all but eight times since 1950, its winners earned bragging rights as the director of the Best Picture at the Oscars. So if Sam Mendes wins the Directors Guild of America Award, or Directors Guild of America, I guess that's what DGA stands for. <laughs> if, if he wins that, then... Uh, only, he would join almost every other movie since 1950 that goes on to win Best Picture. So, Which means the movie could win Best Picture, but he might not win Best Director. Although I honestly think that if it's going to be a split, that he would win Best Director and the movie might not win Best Picture. Wow. Unless they like this Bong Joon-ho to give him the Best Director in 1917, the Best Picture. But uh, my beloved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has been sort of already like cast off to the side as far as people's predictions for winning the Oscar at this point. So we'll see. Well, and Parasite is gaining a ton of momentum, yeah. too. I know it's been, uh, like we mentioned last week, it, it was back in theaters, at least back in Cineplex, because it had already played in Canada. And it's back in more theaters this weekend, I looked it up. And some... Uh, Jojo Rabbit's back to. In limited release, in the States at least, they're going to release Parasite in black and white. That's... I see it in color. Yeah? Yeah, I don't know. They did that with Logan, too. I don't... I don't did know. They, Maybe it, it adds Logan? 
Yeah, they did a black and white of that. And they did uh, black and white Mad Max Fury Road, which I never saw. Right. Although they could, they didn't call it black and white. They called it like chromium or something. I can't remember. <laughs> something silly Something like that sounded that. like Mad Max. <laughs> but I wanted to see it too. Well, it's an interesting artistic choice. And Bong Joon-ho yeah. said that black and white is the birth of cinema. And he always, he, he just finds it romantic. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it could be an interesting spin. So maybe that can be a future piece of homework for you to watch Parasite in black and white and see which one you like better. Yeah. Up next, we'll tell you what's coming at home video. Video and still to come, curb your enthusiasm. Ha! Oh, did you watch it? Yep. Oh my God! What a solid classic <laughs> all-time episode. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Taking a look now at what's coming to home video. Terminator Dark Fate coming out DVD and Blu-ray on Tuesday. Um, I can't remember if you saw that one or not. I have not seen it, but a buddy of mine just watched it last weekend, and he really enjoyed it. He said it was fun. He loved the the new bad guy Terminators. So, And this is the one where you've only had to see the first two Terminators, right? Because that's right. It, so I could see it because I haven't seen any of the other ones. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You, you did see Terminators 1 and 2. Finally, last year for the first time. Hey, better late than never, right? <laughs> so I'll get around to this one maybe. Uh, uh, that's DVD Blu-ray on Tuesday. And also that day, Parasite, which we were just talking about, comes to DVD and Blu-ray. It's also available for rent. We keep talking about how it's home and uh, in theaters again or still, but you could also watch it at home if you wanted to. Again, it's got the subtitles, but don't let that stop you. And on digital HD, there's literally nothing coming out so okay there you go and if you don't want to buy the dvd or blu-ray those uh movies should likely be available on demand as well yeah. through your cable company out this weekend guy Ritchie. yep this is a director who's had an interesting career because he started out i guess is it safe to to make a quentin tarantino comparison yeah well yeah he came out with that lock sock and two smoking barrels in 1998 when they were giving anybody who sort of had a tarantino vibe like yeah you get to make a movie because we don't know who the next Tarantino is going to be, and everybody thought it was going to be Guy Ritchie. Yeah, because he made Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which is one of my favorite films. I think I've watched it. It's a great title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the title alone. I think I've watched that movie like twenty, twenty-five times. Oh my. And then he followed that up with Snatch, which yep. had uh, more star power. Brad Pitt was in it. That's right. He got some uh, great studio support for that one. Well, he's got a new movie out this weekend. He's kind of going back to his crime sort of caper roots because his career has not been kind to him. So first, let's talk The Gentleman. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray, man. Right. Lovely. If you smell smoke, it's because there's a fire. So you're going to have to stamp that out quickly. These people are going to clean house. And you are part of that house. In the jungle, the only way a lion survives, not by acting like a king, by being the king. Brilliant! Okay, I should actually make a correction. I shouldn't say his career hasn't been too kind to him. He's just had, he's had such a strange career. Yeah, he did the Sherlock Holmes movies. Which, which I liked. Yeah, but that's... It just felt so watered down after, like, the raw intensity of those first two movies, right? And he also had that movie with Madonna. Was that swept away? I think so. Well, he was married to her for a while, too. Yeah, that's right. So that was... The, that movie, I believe, was got terrible reviews. And <laughs> he did Aladdin. So, like, he goes from Aladdin... 
to the gentleman. He also did a King Arthur movie and The Men from Uncle. So his career has been bouncing all over the place. And maybe, I don't know if this is his uh, comfort zone, like this is his safe space. I'm going to go back to making a movie about bad guys. But it's getting decent reviews, 77%. So that's encouraging. Are you going to go see it, despite the fact that Hugh Grant has that weird (laughs) accent that you don't like? I I don't. For some reason, that seems to be my main sticking point. I just, I find it that annoying. But I bet he's not even in the movie a whole lot. He sort of seems like a just telling the story kind of guy, you know what I mean? I don't know. That Charlie Hunnam, I think, is the main guy. I don't really know him a lot. So, I don't know. I might go see it. I'm at, uh, We're in discussions right now. This is on the table. My girlfriend's like, we should go see it. And I was like, you should see Parasite, though. So, I'm trying to get oh. her to go see Parasite. She's like, but I need glasses, and I don't have glasses, and I won't be able to read the subtitles. I was like, well, sit right up front. She needs glasses and doesn't have glasses. She won't admit it. She does, but she won't admit it. Ah, one of those. Yeah. Okay. That's not safe for driving. Hey, that's, uh, you're on my side in this fight now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the passenger. I know what I... <laughs> So, The Gentleman, that's one of the movies out this weekend. It's uh, got decent reviews, 77%. The other one is called The Turning. It's a scary movie. And like most scary movies, it's getting terrible reviews. 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Up next, we've got great reviews for the return of an HBO classic. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and one of our favorite shows, HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, came back last weekend, delivering a doozy of an episode. Here's a taste. Some minor spoilers, of course. Larry David and his best friend Richard Lewis. Larry busting Lewis at the coffee shop, Mocha Joe's, where Larry's been banned from after Lewis said that he would boycott. What are you doing here? You said you were going to boycott this place. I am boycotting this place. Oh, this is a boycott? Sitting here drinking coffee? That's a boy- That's quite a boycott. I told you, for the rest of my dying days, I will never come to this place with you. Ever. That's not what you said. No, I said you I would... You said you're boycotting this place and you're never coming back here. You didn't say with me. What are you, my Jewish puppet master? I can do whatever the f*** I want alone, but with you, no. I will never come in here. I swear on my life. Who the f- needs you for a boycott if I'm boycotting already. I don't need you to boycott. You said you're boycotting, but you didn't boycott. Are you done? I I don't understand. I I don't understand you. (laughs) This coffee, by the way, is unbelievable. It's fantastic. Is it hot? Very hot. Let me see that. Hey, don't touch my... Don't touch it. Hey, stop it. What are you... Goose. <laughs> Larry dips his nose in the coffee to see how hot it is, and that that goose thing slayed me. I uh, if I I would have done a spit take if I had anything in my mouth, but I scream laughed when he said that. Mocha Joe is what's the history there? He was on the season where they were with the Seinfeld reunion. He had the little coffee cart outside the studio that they would get coffee from all day, and he uh, did a f- do me a favor. Do me a favor. He tried to do a, somebody owed somebody a favor or something like that, and there was of course a tipping thing. And oh, okay, I think Kramer got. Into, uh, almost got into trouble right outside Mocha Joe's there with uh, people taking videos of him screaming at somebody and stuff like that. It was it was there, yeah. It was just the weird guy that runs a little coffee cart, and now he has this coffee shop. Uh, I thought it was a great episode, including you know the very Larry David move of him getting into arguments with this pregnant lady about what's best for her baby. And there's also a classic, very dirty scenario at the end of the episode that we couldn't even begin to talk about. It's one of those sort of differentiators that they do on Curb that you know they could never have done on Seinfeld kind of thing. And they dive headfirst into the Me Too movement as Larry's a prime candidate, of course, to get caught up in misunderstandings. And 
they pointed out that Jeff looks like Harvey Weinstein. I thought that was genius. That slayed me from the beginning and it kept coming back. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, this was for me was a Hall of Fame episode, and not just because the show has been absent for so long. I just felt like it was so well put together, and they cram they cram in so much stuff <laughs> into e- each episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, like, and it all ends up tying yep. together. Yeah, that's the brilliance oh, of yeah. Larry David. He can tell all of these sort of interweaving things that have nothing to do with each other, just random sort of bumps in the road as he goes through his day, you know, exacting his social justice, like when he walks past <laughs> the couple with her selfie stick and grabs it and snaps it. That was just that was just a throwaway moment but uh, the way that it all ends up often tying back together i am always amazed at how well he does this and clearly he's had a lot sort of to get off of his chest yeah it's been years that the show's been gone making notes in his little notebook for three years since it since it was last on so he's got yeah all sorts of material to work with like because the me too thing would have happened a year and a half ago or two years ago if he'd been on every year but he's been gone since 2017 so he's got all that stuff pent up uh leon was back he's always a great addition to every scene him yelling at mocha joe was one of my favorite parts of this just just the attitude he brings to it that was just cracked me up ted danson was back who's always good to see i was a little surprised they didn't acknowledge the passing in real life of bob einstein who played marty funkhauser for years but then i, I found this from new york Day. Daily News. It's uh, it was an article written last week. Jeff Garland, who plays Jeff Green on the show, and he also executive produces the show with Larry, said that Einstein was scheduled to appear in this tenth season before he died, and he said that sucked. He, uh, told the Daily News of Einstein's passing, quote, we had already started filming. What happened was he had pneumonia and he couldn't come in and then he was getting better and then he was diagnosed with cancer and he was dead like maybe a few weeks later. So they had planned for him. They had written him into the show, but then he got sick and died. And so he won't be back. So I imagine at some point they'd do a dedicated to Bob Einstein or something. Yeah, that would be nice of them to, to do that, to acknowledge him. I was surprised to see Ted Danson because I hadn't seen his name in any of the, no, mind you, I didn't really look that hard, but I hadn't seen his name yeah, in any yeah. of the write-ups of this season. I don't believe he was in the trailer. And he's been busy with The Good Place, right? So it's not like he doesn't have an other like active work to do while this was being made. Yeah. Uh, side note on The Good Place, I forgot that The Good Place was back. I checked my PVR, had two episodes of The Good Place. <laughs> I've only watched one of them so far. Okay. Yeah, that is, I, I guess there's only like... They're, I think they're only doing four. There yeah. might only be two left. Yeah, because they do nine episodes, then they take their holiday break, and then they come back four episodes. So, I've yeah, only two episodes well, left in no, the series. At this point, one left by the time people listen to this. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because we record this on Thursday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that airs tonight for us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as, as far as Curb Your Enthusiasm goes, do you think this Me Too angle that they've introduced, is that going to be the overarching sort of thing that Larry has to deal with this season. I oh, I wonder. That's a good call. Because there's always one sort of... He, he has these sort of yeah. weekly adventures, but there's always kind of a theme that goes through each season, whether it's like when he had the, uh, the fatwa that was on... <laughs> That was out for him. That was sort of the thing that he kept having to go back to. Or maybe it's the war with Mocha Joe's. Could now be both, I guess. Yeah, because of what, ha- what he does, his move at the end. With the property, right? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to whatever it is. All right. So that's one HBO hit, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's a proven all-time classic. They debuted a new show this week on HBO. It, well, it debuted a couple of weeks ago now. It's an adaptation of a 2018 Stephen King novel, The Outsider.
sorry. Hey, Terry. Glory, Terry. Glory. No, no, no. You need to what go. What is he doing with him? I'm as baffled by this conflicting evidence as you are. Did you kill my son, Terry? Look at me! Terry murdered a child. Everything he does after that is like he's begging us to catch him. What kind of criminal does that? He didn't do it. The evidence and the counter evidence. I'm struggling with that. Where are you going with all of this? Is that Terry Maitland? 70 miles away. The same day, the same time as Frankie Peterson was murdered. A human being cannot exist in two realities at the same time. I didn't kill that kid, Ralph. When the facts are filled with coincidences, don't dismiss those coincidences. I have no tolerance for the unexplainable. Well then, sir, you'll have no tolerance for me. All she's asking is that we keep an open mind. You keep your mind open. I'm just gonna look for facts, evidence, dumb cop sh like that. I think you should drop the investigation. If you don't, I feel like something very bad is gonna happen. Something bad's already happened. So The Outsider, uh, three or uh, three episodes have aired now because there were two episodes the first week, right. and then uh, the third episode aired in the second week. I've only watched one episode, but the setup is Ben Mendelsohn, who always plays a bad guy. Yep, built to be a bad guy. We and we wondered, is he ever going to be a good guy? <laughs> well, he's a good guy in this. Oh. But he might as well be a bad guy no. because he's just as grumpy as he always is. <laughs> he plays a, a, a cop. He's grumpy for a reason. His his child has died already. So he and his wife are dealing with the grief from that. Jason Bateman plays a guy who appears to be great family man, coach of the baseball team. But he's a psycho? Well, we don't know. It, it, yeah. it, it looks like maybe or maybe not, and hence the Stephen King of it all, the supernatural yeah, yeah. of it all, because he is accused of murdering a child in rather horrifying fashion. And based on the initial evidence and all of the various eyewitness accounts, it looks like it was him. Like, they have actual hard evidence that points the finger right at him. But then there is conflicting evidence that says, no, it couldn't be him because he was 70 miles away at this conference. Hmm. So what's happening here? Well, I haven't gotten that far yet, but clearly because it's a Stephen King story, there's something, something nefarious that is running afoul in this town. What was really intriguing about the first episode, and I'm curious to see if this is how they're going to tell the story each each episode is the way that they broke up the timeline. Like they were going back and forth. Like they, uh, they, the first event was way down the line and then it would just jump back. And there didn't appear to be any, not sure what the rhyme or reason was. It was kind of tough to follow at first, like within the first five minutes. Because yeah. Where you go, oh, this, this happened. This you, is a flashback. Or, used to, yeah, yeah. But so, but it was kind of cool, but it felt gimmicky. It, it didn't feel totally cohesive but it was an interesting way to tell the story and jason bateman doing yet another serious drama which is pretty cool because he was great in ozark 
Yeah, he does some dark stuff now, eh? Yeah, yeah. And he just seems to, to, to well, he's great in whatever he does. Yeah. So I'm I... I'm also, sorry, I just, I'm impressed with how relevant Stephen King remains. So it's like every six months we've got like, and it's based on a Stephen King book from whenever, right? Sometimes it's new, newish like this one. Sometimes it's really old, like the It movies or whatever. But it seems like twice a year there's like a giant new Stephen King thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I never even heard of this book until HBO dropped this show, which is going to be a 10 episode miniseries so i think that's kind of cool because we're getting uh, 10 episodes instead of having to cram a movie into two hours or even four hours like it i mean he, they did a great job i think of condensing it into four or i guess it was close to five hours but but yeah his books really are built for miniseries because they're so long yeah and they put so much stuff in them yeah it could have probably been like a five season <laughs> television show because there's just so much <laughs> crap in that book but yeah the outsider i liked the first episode i didn't love it but I am going to continue to watch it because I am intrigued and I'm very curious. And like I said, Jason Bateman is great. I like Ben Mendelsohn because he's just so good at being grumpy. Yeah. So The Outsider <laughs> airs Sunday nights on HBO. It actually airs before Curb Your Enthusiasm. Up next, I've got some closing thoughts on season two of Succession. And Jeff's going to give you a review of Edward Norton's Motherless Brooklyn. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Warner Brothers sent us a Blu-ray this week of the movie Motherless Brooklyn. There's something big out there. Do you know what it is? Do you have the first inkling how power works? Power is knowing that you can do whatever you want and not one person can stop you. And if someone else has a dumb idea that you don't like, well, that's the end of that idea. Is he above the law? that it? I'm just ahead of it. Motherless Brooklyn. Rated R. Starring Edward Norton, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Alec Baldwin, Willem Dafoe, Bruce Willis, Bobby Cannavale, of course, and many more. Written for the screen and directed by Norton. It is based on a novel. It got middling reviews when it came out in November. It's at 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, so by no means terrible. Uh, it did, though, bomb hard at the box office. $9.2 million in North America, $18 million around the world, and the budget was $26 million. So the box office is kind of aggravating because I like that this movie got made and I wish more movies like it would get made, but they're going to have to make a lot more money if that's going to happen. Norton plays a private detective in New York in the 1950s, and this is one of the best worlds a movie can be set in, I think. I love the noirish stuff, trench coats and fedoras, the old cars. He actually works at a detective agency with a couple of other guys, and the best scenes in the movie, to my mind, are when they're in the office talking about the case. I sort of wish... This was a TV series where they could solve a case every week while some overarching mystery connected the season. But here, there is one mystery that begins with a murder, of course, and as Norton unravels it, he finds it to reach further than he ever expected. Any movie of this ilk will obviously owe a lot to Chinatown, the Jack Nicholson movie from the 70s, and this one certainly does. Chinatown came down to a conspiracy involving irrigation, while here... It's about her variety of city services in New York. It's weird when you say those things, it sounds boring, but it actually makes for interesting plot. That's, it sounds like something kind of like from The Phantom Menace. You know, like set yeah. up a trade blockade. Yeah, this is very exciting. All of a sudden here it's like, wait, well, how does it work when they want to build a street and blah, 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 and you get all into it and stuff. It's really weird. But it is actually kind of gripping, and that's sort of what the movie's doing best, I found, was the story, the mystery is interesting, and I generally like the way the story was told and how it all unfolded, although some stuff seemed very telegraphed and 
I'm not sure if they meant to do that or if they thought that the audience was dumb and they had to do that. And I thought the ending was a little muddled, although I was pretty tired, so it might have just been me. The performances were good across the board. Nothing really special, I don't think. I guess the most notable thing is that Norton's character has Tourette syndrome. Now, some of it comes off a little hammy, even if it is an accurate portrayal. just feels like such an actory thing. And while it's brought up quite a bit, the movie treats it simply as the thing he has to deal with every day, and it's not the focus of any part of the story, really. I guess it's in the book as well, so you can't really fault the movie for putting it in there. It, it, it is there, but it doesn't make Norton's character any more or less interesting. The only thing that's really a problem, though, is the length. It's two hours, 25 minutes long, which is ridiculous. It's a labor of love movie for Norton, so I get his reluctance in wanting to cut stuff, but, I mean, come on, you gotta cut something. I will admit the easiest thing to have cut is a scene that involves a conversation between Norton and Michael Kenneth Williams, but as a really good scene, I probably wouldn't have cut it either. I think there is stuff at the beginning of the movie, though, they could have cut out. Overall, though, I think it is worth a rent. There's a lot of bad language, if that's a factor in it for you, especially if you like, you know, a mystery, you will want to rent this one, or if you like the world of noirish detectives, it's kind of cool that way. But overall, it's good, not great. Three couch cushions out of five. All right, thanks to Warner Brothers for sending us that Blu-ray. And in closing this week... I've got some closing thoughts on HBO's Succession, two seasons. Now in the bag, I watched both seasons, and I've been pretty heavily immersed in this show for the last couple of weeks, to the point that's the reason why I didn't realize I had two episodes of The Good Place on my PBR, <laughs> or an episode of Supernatural, or yeah, three yeah. episodes of Vikings. Oh my god. Because I've just been watching Succession uh, to the point where last Friday night... I stayed up, like, I could have gone to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock. I was so tired, but I stayed up till 1 because I had six episodes to get through to finish that second season. I wanted to see what happened, <laughs> and this is a show that I didn't think I would really care for. Like, I thought, it looks good, but it was it involved the business world, and those shows usually yeah. are my thing. But the performances in this show, as have been going on for the last couple of weeks, are so outstanding. Brian Cox's character is truly one of the most evil television villains I think I've ever seen. He's awful and comeuppance is had, but I'm curious to know where it goes in season three. So if you haven't watched HBO's Succession, I highly recommend it. If you are an HBO subscriber or if you've got Crave, then you can watch it. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. No bother.